It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. All right. Let's shift gears for just a moment here. Whenever you're ready, I'll take your cue. Welcome to my new podcast. Nothing fancy, just some truth-telling for these uncertain times. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan Rather. This is a defining moment in our country's history. A testing time, the likes of which we have never been through before. I'm coming to you from our News and Guts headquarters here in New York. I have my tie loosened and my feet up. This podcast is a whole new venture for us. We aim to bring these to you every Monday or whatever the news warrants. I'm excited to get going and I have a lot to say about what's going on in our great country. And I know that you have a lot on your mind as well. On Facebook, that's my Facebook, on Twitter, and on our website, the website is newsandguts.com, we ask if you had any questions. And, well, yes, you do. No surprise. I'm going to get to some of those questions today, but first, some thoughts about Donald Trump's overseas adventure, what some people are calling the farce in Helsinki. For a long while, too long, I and almost all other journalists called what evidence clearly showed was Russian involvement in trying to influence our presidential election as muddling or mucking around or trying to influence, it's now clear that what Putin and the Russians engage in was an extensive, sustained attack, one that's still underway. And I would argue that attack is now the proper description. This all was and remains a full, sustained, undeclared war of sorts, a cyber war on the United States, its institutions, and those of U.S. allies and others generally associated with Western civilization. I don't think it's unreasonable to draw at least loose parallels to the Japanese 1941 sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. The Japanese succeeded in delivering a devastating blow. In the weeks and months that followed, they sustained the advantage with one victory after another throughout the Pacific War Theater. A difference A big difference, of course, is that in that time, Americans of all partisan political and ideological persuasions rallied in defense, led by a determined, truly patriotic president, Franklin Roosevelt. And the tide of war was changed. It took time and the blood and bravery of many hundreds of thousands of American warfighters to prevail. Also, it took the combined efforts, bipartisan efforts, of leaders in Congress and the President, plus rank-and-file Americans. With that in mind, here we are. No question anymore 
that Russia has had and continues to have America, its friends and allies, under attack. The question has been and is, what is the president, the Congress, and we the people going to do about it? This is a defining moment in our country's history, a testing time, the likes of which we have never been through before. Now, with all that in mind, let's talk about blinking red lights. It was overshadowed by the recent indictments issued down by Special Prosecutor Mueller and overshadowed some by the Helsinki situation itself. But our nation's top intelligence official, the very top one, gave a very significant speech on Friday afternoon at the Hudson Institute think tank in Washington, D.C. The Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates, Now, Coates is a former Republican senator from Indiana, and by any reasonable analysis, a pretty far-to-the-right Republican. He's now the director of national intelligence. And Dan Coates likened the cyber threat from Russia today to the climate before September 11, 2001, when intelligence channels were, quote, blinking red with warning signs that a terror attack was imminent. Nobody paid enough attention to the blinking red lights just before September 11, 2001. And well, as they say, the rest is history. Now I'm quoting from Dan Coates. Here we are nearly two decades later, and I'm here to say the warning lights are blinking red again. He goes on to say, the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, in coordination with international partners, have detected Russian government actors targeting government and businesses in the energy, nuclear, water, aviation, and critical manufacturing sectors. We are seeing aggressive attempts to manipulate social media and to spread propaganda focused on hot-button issues that are intended to exacerbate socio-political divisions. We fully realize that we are just one click on a keyboard away from a similar situation repeating itself. These actions are persistent, they're pervasive, and they are meant to undermine America's democracy on a daily basis, regardless of whether it is election time or not. Uncoat Dan Coates. Now that's something to as they would say at home, put in your pipe and smoke it, and to think about it quite a little bit. Moving along now, Sam Vinograd was quoted as saying that Trump and Putin have a few things in common when it comes to the media. Both men happen to be propaganda machines. They spread misinformation, disinformation, and sow divisions in the United States. Several people have commented that the Helsinki meeting was surreal, bizarre. I have some experience with summits. I'm not patting my part here, but as a longtime correspondent, I attended 
and reported on more summits than I can recall. And surreal probably is the word to describe what happened at Helsinki. But when you look at the great sweep, the overarching American history, there's never been anything like it. Several people have noted that by just sitting down with Trump, Putin came out ahead, that it was a victory for him by standing side by side with the American president and sitting down with him. There's no question now that they were aggressive and they were effective. Just how effective they were, we may not know in full until Mueller finishes his report. The president of the United States has made it clear that he trusts the word of a former KGB agent over the consensus of the American intelligence community backed by a ton of facts. That is a shocking reality. There will be plenty of people who think that everyone and anyone who excuses President Trump's behavior must answer to that reality. I've watched the videotape of the Helsinki meeting several times, and whether you have the sound off or the sound on, it didn't matter. Everything from body language to the post-summit statements to the optics to the somewhat desperate handshakes, Putin was clearly running this show. Putin appeared to be relaxed and in charge. President Trump looked a little uncomfortable, At least in the short and medium term, American power and influence in the world has been weakened. By the way, did you notice American journalists showed more bravery and honesty in questioning Putin and the Russian attack on American sovereignty than the President of the United States did? Now, to Republican officials who are speaking out about the, what I call, farce in Finland, the meeting between Trump and Putin in Helsinki. Many people are drawing the conclusion that unless Republicans start putting their votes and subpoena power behind their Twitter fingers, that they're going to be viewed as complicit in the judgment of history and maybe by the voters much sooner. We'll find out come November. There's one question that everyone who works in this administration or supports it is going to be forced to answer. Do you or do you not trust President Trump to be commander-in-chief? Is he or is he not defending the country in the face of the Russian attacks? Now, a lot of people are going to conclude that if the answer is yes, that as a party and as individuals, the Republicans now backing President Trump, if you say they do trust him to be commander-in-chief. They do trust him to defend the country against the attacks. A lot of people are going to conclude that means they support Putin over the American national security and intelligence communities. You may judge that to be fair or unfair, but there are an awful lot of people thinking that way. And by the way, along that line, there are a number of people, I'm not saying this is my opinion, I'm passing along, who say that If you analyze carefully what's been happening, not just with the Helsinki meeting, but with events preceding that over a fairly long time, that part of the problem is that President Trump, at the very least, appears to be defending himself, that every answer, every move is, what's good for me, Donald Trump, rather than thinking first of the defense of the country. You make up your own mind what you feel about that.
Let's take a breath and go to your questions. These are questions submitted on our Facebook page, Twitter, and on our newsandguts.com when we ask folks to submit questions for this podcast today. Killer Robinson asks, well, she says, first of all, the two-party system is broken. How can it be fixed, or what should replace it, and how can we make it happen? Ooh, good question. Take a long time to give a full answer. But first, yes, the two-party system is broken. The question is whether it is irretrievably broken or not. How can it be fixed? Well, one way is to reduce, substantially reduce, the influence of special interest money from left and right in elections. Folks, the last presidential election campaign cost roughly $4 billion. That's $4 billion. The people, by and large, who gave that money, who gave the big money, expect to get something for it. And this is the reason that the two-party system is broken. A lot of things in life get down to money, and this gets down to money. Or what should replace it if the two-party system is broken? Very difficult to replace it. It would take constitutional amendments to change the power of the legislative branch of government, which, let's face it, is not realistic. And how can we make it happen? Well, another alternative, of course, is the development of independent parties or independent candidates for president and independent candidates for congressional races. But the history of independents running in for the House, for the Senate, or the president indicates that it's very, very difficult to do that. Theodore Roosevelt, in the election of 1912, in which he ran as an independent after being a lifelong Republican, he ran the strongest independent presidential campaign uh, in history, and uh, he finished third. So I don't want to be pessimistic, but pretty much the two-party system is what we have. I do acknowledge that it's broken. I don't think it's irretrievably broken, not if we, that is to say, we the people, get busy. Now, Christiana Garrett has a question. She says, how has journalism historically reacted with fascist or authoritarian regimes? And the second part of the question, is there any advice for journalists working today? Well, to the first, how has journalism historically reacted with fascist or authoritarian regimes? Uh, They generally have reacted by doing a lot of solid expose reporting and then paid the price for that. Uh, The history of journalists who tried to point out what was wrong with fascist regimes, such as Mussolini or Hitler, is some of them got killed. Some of them got run out of the country and otherwise silence. Now, is there any advice for journalists working today? Look, I've made nearly every mistake in the book. I'm not perfect by any means. But since you've asked, I would say this. The best thing for those of us who are in journalism to do is to do our jobs, to report, to report hard, long, wide, and deep. That's our role in a society such as ours. And... I know sometimes it's popular to say and understandable to say, well, there's nothing I can do. There is something you can do, and that is report your heart out. Now, Tamara Lumman has asked, was it actually treasonous behavior 
when the president backed Russia, she's talking about the Helsinki affair, she put in parentheses, when the president adheres to, gives comfort and aid to an enemy of the country. Was it actually treasonous, she asked, even after our intelligence agencies told the president that Russia was responsible for meddling in our election? Some few people have publicly have used the word treasonous behavior, unquote, to describe what the president has done and is doing. As a personal opinion, and I'll tell it to you straight as I always try to, it's such a loaded word that I'm reluctant to use it in today's context. But given what the president has done and hasn't done, in the face of these Russian attacks, it's inevitable that some people are going to raise treason as a question. But I would say, again, in my own personal opinion, that's a word that probably should be reserved until we know more of what Special Counsel Mueller has found out, keeping in mind that Mueller knows a lot more than he has made public even yet. What next? Well, that's up to us, those of us individual citizens of the country and collectively as a people. Do we let it slide or do we consider it a kind of act of war? Veronica Marie Wilson asked, well, she says, first of all, we hear all about the corruption in Congress and are sick of it. How can we work to change this beyond becoming aware and donating to the ACLU? That's a quote. Well, there is a lot of corruption in Congress. No question about it. That's a fact. As I mentioned earlier on this podcast, a lot of it comes directly from very heavy, very big special interest money. And their influence that they buy results in much of what is done in Congress. Many of the laws written, many of the regulations put in effect, many of the regulations taken off. The actions are actually written by the lobbyists who contributed the money. That's the reason we can use very aptly and very accurately the word corruption in Congress. Now, as to what kind of work you, a citizen, can do to change this beyond becoming aware and donating to some political action groups such as the ALCLU, or if you're on the right side of the political spectrum and feel differently, there are a number of organizations that support President Trump. But what you can do is, first of all, when you get out of bed in the morning, when your feet first hit the floor, say to yourself, what can I do to help another person? And then beyond that, what can I do to help my community? Now, if you want to go beyond that, and a lot of people do, then make sure you vote, get organized, help those who are organized to get out the vote. Because what really counts in this country is the ballot. There's an election coming up in November. Whether you like President Trump, don't like him, or haven't quite made up your mind about him, the vote in November is one of the most important midterm elections in the history of the country. And I have written before and repeat here, this is the most important midterm election of my lifetime. Well, folks, the old clock on the wall, as they say, 
continues to run. Our time is about up here. But I want to leave you with something. It's poetry. Now, don't tune out on poetry. I like poetry. I don't know a whole lot about it. But in thinking about where we are today, we have a battle for the soul of America going forward. And the old poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Perhaps you know it from maybe middle school, junior high school, or perhaps you don't know it, but Invectus goes this way. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears, looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We the people are the masters of our country's fate. We the people are the captains of our country's soul. No president is more powerful than the people. And that, folks, is it. I wish you good luck and Godspeed. Be talking to you along the trail. This podcast was produced by Pippa. It was mixed and recorded by Simon Marcus in New York City on July 16, 2018. Research and editing assistance by Madeline Rowe and Wayne Nelson. Original music by Simon Marcus, Lunatic Wolf and Michael Young. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.